Hello, and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Rozeal, and my guest today is Mark Hodgkins. He's the Executive Vice President of Product Innovation at Ticket Socket. He is the co-host of the Sports Leadership Podcast, and Mark had a really, really cool time working at Boston College, which then he went to the AAC. He was kind of in the Big East, actually, for a really long time, and then that switched over to the AAC. It was so interesting getting to hear everything that was going on and how he was a part of it. So I really, really hope you enjoy this episode with Mark Hodgkins. Looks like we're good to go today on the For the Love of Sports podcast. I have March. Mar- See, look at that. You made me mess up your first <laughs> name now. I can say I can. Mark Hodgkin. I was too focused on the no S. March. Mark Hodgkin. There we go. I'm done saying your name. EVP Perfect. of Product Innovation at Ticket Socket, co-host of the Sports Leadership Podcast. Mark, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to this chat um, down here in Florida. Obviously, another beautiful day um, as we kind of live through uh, quarantine life. But uh, all in all, good stuff. We'll see how it goes. I also love all the plants you have in your house. I can't have that many because I kill them all. But um, it's a nice. My background. wife keeps alive. Yeah, I've been I've been getting a lot of comments in the background. I'm out here in our. I don't have a permanent office um, at home. You know, I'm doing work from home. But uh, make it out here to the sunroom, and yeah, it's not a bad little. Uh, ambiance around here i like it man it's nice it's good to have some plants around um but mark i first question i have for everybody on the for the love of sports podcast is why do you love sports so much wow that is a uh a good question i mean i Thank think you. for for me you know it, it's almost like i have to think about that because it's just been part of you know what i've enjoyed and spent time with since i was so little um you know, really earliest memories were kind of starting to watch ESPN and, um, you know, the teams that I grew up loving. I, I started really with uh, the Atlanta Braves, watching them on TBS, even though I'm from Rhode Island, um, less than an hour away from Fenway Park. But for us, the the, the Braves were on TV because they were on TBS and Nesson, which had the Red Sox game, was a was a $10 extra month thing that my parents didn't do. So uh, kind of grew up with them. Um, but to, to get your question, I guess, you know, it's it's always just been there and it's uh, until now. Um, I love the competition of it. Um, I've always been drawn to the college space. Um, that's really what kind of gets my juices going here. And, um, you know, the crowd and there's something about a campus and how it, it, it intersects with, with great athletics and, and uh, people coming together. And, you know, it's silly when you really break down what you're rooting for when it comes to teams and stuff. Uh, I have a friend who says you're basically rooting for laundry at this point, yeah. um, which there's something to. But I think there's also, um, you know, just that level of um, familiarity you have with teams you grow up with, with players you grow up with, um, and all those kind of things. And obviously, competition is awesome, you know, especially when it's, you know, low stakes, not low stakes, but we're not talking life and death stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're in the, the, uh, the fun section of, of the world, at least uh, for the most part, you know, where we're wins and losses are not life and death, uh, which is great. So you can have yeah. that competition, you can be enjoying it. But, you know, at the end of the day, nobody's, you know, nobody's dying, nobody's uh, hurting others, you know, 
Exactly. It's it, sports for as much as for as much money, time, effort, energy, a lot of people around the world put into them. It's a child's game, right? Like right. I grew up playing T-ball and now I just watch guys get paid millions of dollars to play baseball. And I think it's well-deserved, obviously, again, there's money in the sport, so good for them, but it's always mm-hmm. just, you know, it's very interesting as well to see how, how exactly it all works out. I really like your point of, of laundry, especially when it comes to, uh, you know, college sports, I think, again, you know, that opportunity to bring people together. I mean, the big house, uh, the horseshoe. I mean, there's these places where they can fit 110,000 people in one place and they routinely do it. You know, on the right. in the middle of a Saturday in Michigan, in Ohio, when it's December, they routinely put 110,000 people in these places outdoors. And it's it's incredible. And I really think it speaks to it really speaks to how passionate people are about sports. And, you know, I think college is that it's that extra layer because I knew so many people who didn't care about sports at all. And then they go to places like Syracuse and then they start rooting for the team and they're paying attention to every game and they're doing all the things that comes with the, you know, Syracuse basketball school. So it's always very interesting to me to see kind of how that works. And speaking of college, I, I don't have this question for everybody, but you're, you're a particular subject. So I'm very excited to ask it. Mark is Texas back. <laughs> but I, uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. Um, and I always joke that, you know, I went to school there when, uh, before Texas had to be back. Yes. Uh, it was obviously a good time to be there. Um, it, I intersected with so many great players from uh, Vince Young came in the same class as me. And uh, that special season was uh, was my senior year. Oh. Um, and and had the fortune of being out at the Rose Bowl for that game, which is just a, a once in a lifetime opportunity. You were there? Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, went out with my dad. He got me tickets. Um, it was it was a, a special year. We kind of knew it was it was coming all all off season. I mean, I think nas- nationally, people look at that team and say, um, you know, they got lucky. They 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 lose that game eight out of ten times. They're playing the best team of all time uh, in USC. But but for us who kind of were around it and had seen what what Vince could bring to the table the year before, mm-hmm. there was a huge amount of confidence. About, like our friends going out there, we're just like you know, we we've, we've taken on all comers this year. They won their championship game seventy to three. Uh, which never happens. Um, and Vince was a transcendent player who had the ball in his hands every single play. So it was really exciting to be out there. And, and you, we were, I would say we weren't surprised when it happened because um, we just, we get used to what he brought to the mm-hmm. the magic to the field every week. But, you know, I, I looked at the, and the funny part is my wife is a Texas A&M grad. Uh, we met mm-hmm. in school, uh, but she went to, to college in, in Aggieland and um, we were comparing the last decade and, uh, unfortunately it's not even close. Uh, the Aggies have us, uh, badly and against stronger competition. I think it's safe to say, uh, big 12 is obviously a great league, but, uh, A&M is in the sec. So mm-hmm. one of these days I'm hoping we'll be back. Uh, but unfortunately we've been one of the big underachievers for, uh, for a long time, but, uh, and I, mean, it, I think I mean- it's coming together. I, I I apologize if I brought up some uh, some bad memories there, but it sounds like you you went to the good ones, and I think that's important. And I think I'll be honest, every single person that I've ever met that went to UT Austin, I ask them this question just because I think it's fun, um, but also because I mean, let's let's be honest. Like I hate the Yankees, but baseball is better when the Yankees are good. You know, it's just one of those things where. You know, I maybe the Patriots of that dynasty was a little too long. Twenty straight years of being good is frustrating, but. It's just one of those things where these blue bloods, these teams that have been around the Steelers, you know, let's call it, um, you know, it's just sports are better when there's a villain too. And whether you like Texas or not, they're not really one of those teams that are a lot of people are like, I could do with them. I could do without them. And they're usually one of those teams that it's, you know, it's kind of uh, 
polarizing, I guess. And yeah. I rooted for Texas in that championship game. That game was that iconic image of Vince Young running into the end zone oh, seared into my memory. And I had no rooting interest. He was, uh, he was something else. And, and that's a good point. And, and Crystal Conte used the athletics director, uh, outstanding athletics director that Texas had was fortunate to get fortunate to get from TCU. He, he said something like that fairly recently. of like, we are the Goliath, you know, and people kind of made fun of, you know, well, how did that story end? Obviously not real well for Goliath, but he's right. He can't embrace the underdog role. You know, we have to, a school like that has really no excuses not to get it done. And I, I think that it's healthy to embrace that. You know, I think uh, it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic there. Mm-hmm. Obviously there's, there's high expectations. And in college, I feel like every team, not every team, I feel like there's about 25 teams who to their core fans think they should win huge every year. And obviously mm-hmm. mathematically, it's just not possible. Um, what Alabama's done is preposterous in oh, the last goodness, decade. Yeah. And Clemson is, I mean, right there too. Um, so not everybody can do that, um, but there's about probably 20 fan bases who think they should if everything comes together from yeah. USC to Texas to Michigan to uh, Penn State to Florida State, a few other schools that haven't been there in a while. So it's, it's fun. I, I hope we get to settle some things on the field in the fall. I hope so, too. I'm very excited for that. And, you know, with you, you're talking about it a little bit before, and I guess we can, you know, kind of touch upon it now. You know, if there is one sport that I don't really want to watch without fans is college football. Because the fans, as you said before, I mean, you know, again, 110,000 people are packed into you know these stadiums in certain places. The energy, you, I can feel it through my TV. Like, it's not even a question, especially these big games, these rivalry games. I feel like I could watch NFL without fans. I th- don't think that would be as impactful. But college sports, you know, specifically football without fans, I just don't. I mean, I'd still watch it because it's football, right? But I feel like that it just wouldn't it just wouldn't be the same. And I mean, you living in it, um, you know, going to a huge school like that and then also working there. How do you feel about that, op- uh, you know, potential? Yeah, you know, I, I guess I have more perspective on this from the years I spent at, at the Big East and the American Conference. And we talked about it a lot, uh, even there, that how important it was for schools to have a full house and, and to build stadiums, frankly, that that fit the kind of fan base. You know, when Tulane came into our conference, they came out uh, from having played in the Superdome with like 72,000 seats. It was very hard to even fill half and a half empty stadium just doesn't translate well on TV. It mm-hmm. looks you just don't have the energy. It just doesn't feel right. You know, that that 330 game on CBS in the SEC is always, you know, never see an empty seat. Mm-hmm. And it just feels different on TV. Um, I think it would be very difficult to have those games without crowds. It would obviously not feel like college football. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of community element of the whole campus and you know, that was so special to have when, you know, going to a school that had had football so prominently, you know, that the feeling in the air every Saturday and, and you know, it just overtakes campus. I was in Austin for, for business last November and, you know, it just engulfs the whole city and it's not going to be the same if that's just on TV. And I think there's dynamics in the college game of if there's not kids on campus going to school, it's going to yeah, be very hard to yeah. even play the games, let alone play them without crowds. So. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. There's a lot we got to sort out. Yes, there's a lot. And hopefully, again, everything figures itself out within the next few weeks, few months, however long it takes. But just, man, I love baseball more than anything, but I don't think I could go through a winter without football. I think that would be the the hardest because at least in summer, I can go outside in the winter up here in the Northeast. It's not too easy. Look right. quite like it is down in Florida. Um, but let's 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 go back to your story a little bit. So at the same, you know, after Texas, 
you went to Bryant University, you were getting your master's and you were also the director of athletic marketing while you're there. How does that work? Because director of athletic marketing sounds like a full-time job <laughs> and getting your master's. I have some friends who did it. It's not very easy. Well, it was a full-time job. It was definitely, uh, I would say the, the good folks in the athletics department had a generous uh, naming conventions for the position. Wow. I was a GA, you know, uh, it was, at, it was director of marketing. Um, so I was responsible for all game day promotions, um, increasing attendance. Um, I, so I was a GA. So I, I had the opportunity to live at Bryant or, and take uh, classes for free as long as I would get a basic stipend and then do basically a nine to five. Well, nine to five don't exist in college, but mm -hmm. college sports, but work full time and then go to class, you know, um, which was at night uh, to get my MBA. So it was a great opportunity because one, I never really thought about going back to get my, um, to do grad school, which wasn't kind of in the, in the, in the thinking I wanted to work in sports and, um, had a great opportunity. Brian, they had a few positions. One was an internship for sports information. That's the one I originally went for. Um, they said, we already have somebody else for that, but we'd like to see you do the marketing and we'll give you some sports to do SID work for. So I did um, sports information for the softball team, the swimming team, a few others, and um, also did the marketing side of things, you know, game day promotions. And then because we were a small department at that point, a division two school, we, um, we had plenty of opportunities to work in fundraising. Um, we set up a corporate uh, sponsorship program, you know, got, you know, I was, I was very young, so this wasn't like hardcore negotiating, but signed mm -hmm. on Dunkin' Donuts to be a, a sponsor of us for the first time and took care of all that. So it was an awesome, it was an awesome experience on a few levels. One, because Bryant's a very special school. Um, President Makeley, who just retired, did an unbelievable job taking that from basically a small commuter school that didn't have very high academic standards in the early 90s to uh, a university that went from college to university. We went from division two to division one athletics. Um, and just built a beautiful campus. Uh, and the people who were there were amazing. And the senior leadership in the athletics department today is still the same as it was when I left, which is, is stunning for, for the space, and especially a school that size. Um, so I had great people around. And I also learned a little bit of everything. You know, you were doing stuff from traveling with the team to really getting to know the coaches to doing, um, you know, working the black and gold town, which is our fundraising thing. You just had exposure to every part of the athletics college athletics business you know it wasn't at a it wasn't like texas because it, you know it's, it's division two school in, in rhode island so it's not it's not like that and that was it was fine because if you had that same job at ut you'd have an outstanding opportunity to network and, and you'd yeah. have a great resume by, uh, item but you might not have a chance to touch all those different parts of the business and all those different um things that mm -hmm. you know they have for other people to work on them. So you'd never be, you know, ever doing them. So in that case, it was just a really good opportunity to, to, you know, I, I say I get my grad, I got my grad degree in uh, business management, but then I got a, a grad degree in college sports just because of how much I got to, got to do and learn. That is awesome, man. And I, you know, you make a really good point. You know, if you're going to Texas, there's, as you said, somebody else is doing that Dunkin' Donuts deal. Somebody else is yeah. doing all these little things. You'll probably be siloed into one place, which makes sense. Again, the, the size mm -hmm. of the operation at Texas is a little different, but just the opportunity to also be at a school that's transitioning. I, I'm excited to kind of uh, mirror that later on in the conversation when going from the biggies to the AAC and being a part of that as well. So that's very interesting. So all of that, you know, I like the way you put it. You got you got two masters essentially while you were there, which is very important, which then can allow you to go to places like Boston College, 
where you spend some time and then eventually make it to the Big East. So Boston College to the Big East, what, I guess, you know, so you got your, Boston College, I guess, is technically like your first full, not to say what you were doing at Bryant wasn't full-time, but this is kind of your first foray out of college in the sense that you're not learning anymore. Right, right. Worded horribly, so I apologize for all of that. No, no, (laughs) no, not at all. Um, I ended up actually going up there before my last semester was over at Bryant. Um, I had an opportunity. I had met uh, Jamie DiLoretto, who was an associate AD for external up at Boston College at at a networking event while I was at Bryant. And we just stayed in touch. And at one point, he said, um, we have this new position. It's overseeing bceagles.com. This is back in 2007, 2008. Um, so this is before most schools had like a website guy. Um, so CBS, who ran their website, was going to pay, you know, half this salary. And it was a one-year position. It was an internship, basically. Um, and I would split my time between the, the communications office and the external office and, and learn about, you know, from the guys at CBS and figure out the college athletic website stuff. Um, and I made that decision to kind of do that because I knew I did want to eventually get to a bigger um, kind of pool or at least try it. They say, OK, I could spend two and a half years working at Bryant or I could do two years at Bryant and uh, a year at Boston College and see where that goes. Um, and I think that was what opened up the door, obviously, to the Big East. Um, at that point, the Big East, uh, BC was a former member. Uh, they mm-hmm. left the conference, I guess, five or six years earlier. There were some hard feelings. I was definitely not allowed to wear any of my old BC swag anywhere near anyone at the Big East. Um, but a lot of people had good relationships. Chris Cameron, who was another guy I worked for, called down to uh, John Paquette, who was um, our head of communications at the Big East. And basically, um, they were starting the same kind of thing. They had a guy who was running the website, um, Ben Fairclaw. He was my boss. And he was getting promoted to kind of a more external, uh, big picture role. And they wanted somebody to just do the website. And you know, at that point, we were cutting up highlights of biggest football games and doing, uh, obviously, the biggest tournament was our big mm-hmm. thing of the year. So um, I would kind of rode that wave of, of, I didn't go to school for technology or websites or designers, or I'm not an engineer. Um, I was just kind of in the right place at the right time to, to see that there was going to be this new area of, of college sports where it's focused on digital and new media. So, you know, by the, by the time I left Boston College, things were Twitter was just kind of becoming mm-hmm. a thing. Well, I remember debating it up there, like, is this is this even worth it? Is this going to be around in a year? You know, it seems so funny now. But, you know, that was kind of the, I, I took an opportunity to work at BC because of a person that I knew and, and wanted me to be there. And, um, you know, then it kind of just perfect timing that, that the Big East opened up and it was in my hometown, Providence, Rhode Island. So, um, you know, the, the, the location was amazing for me because, you know, in the college sports space, you don't have a ton of, um, flexibility and geography. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to just say I want to be in one space, especially if it's the Northeast, because it's, you know, it's not a yeah. college hot, hot base, hotbed by any, by any stretch. Um, but, you know, BC is a pretty big school and that was a chance to work in the ACC. And then obviously the Big East was a amazing thing to, to be a part of having grown up kind of in the footprint of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you make a really great point. I mean, obviously there's a bunch of colleges up here, but when in terms of college sports, you're really not going to get anything like you would down South. I mean, I went to Rutgers yeah. and I was at Rutgers when they were like top 15 in the nation. So I think we like, we, there's some people there. It was fun. But um, yeah. yeah, other than that, I think I was a part of maybe like two games that 
were close to sold out while I was at Rutgers. So it's nothing crazy. And uh, now, obviously, we know how great they are at football. So we'll hopefully we're crossing our fingers for the next couple of years. But no, it's it. You make a really good point in, you know, the geography, but then also the opportunity to learn the digital aspect. Again, this is 2008, 2009 timeframe where Twitter is just coming out. You know, if you look back at some of those really early tweets that people were sending out, like Steph Curry is like, hey, I think I'm going to go grab some lunch soon. And now you can kind of see what it's been able to grow into and how it's been able to change over the time, which I think, again, kind of as I was talking about with Brian, as you were kind of there during there has been a transition from university or college to university, division two, division one, as you were talking about this over here with the Big East to the AAC and learning and understanding. I mean, you're going through multiple transitions through this, whether it's, you know, the the company that you're working for, technically the um you know, what you're learning and how the internet and digital is working. I mean, how much fun was it to be a part of something like this over the span of, you know, seven to eight years to really learn how the internet works? And then by the time you're, you know, leaving in 2016, you're able to really see what, I mean, we'll call it internet, what, 3.0, I guess, at this point, yeah. wherever it's been. Like, what was that transition like? And then we'll, I guess, or or do you want to talk about the transition from the biggies to the AAC first? We got well, two conversations, all, so we yeah, and, and they're kind of they're kind of inter, intertwined. Um, Look at because, that, because you know the, the I think everybody understands kind of what drove a lot of that that realignment, and um, it was it was actually only a few months after I got to the Big East, we added uh, TCU as mm-hmm. a member. Um, most people forget that that ever even happened. That was Boise TCU State? Was in the, when was that? Boise was a, State? about a year or two later. Okay, because um, I, I remember when funny, that happened, I, I was like, "What the hell's going on? This makes no sense." <laughs> Yeah, it, it it was very strange. So the, the the realignment angle was, you know, they had just gone through this change in the early 2000s that lost Miami and Virginia Tech and D.C. And then around 2009, things started bubbling up again. Um, we had a, a strange layout as a conference. By that point, we had 16 teams, eight of which played football and eight of which uh, didn't play football, including Notre Dame, who obviously plays football, but just not in the conference. Mm-hmm. So we had this big, you could kind of say, wobbly organization by that time where, you know, you had, you you were realizing with the TV deals that were coming up. And this this is what kind of ties into the, the digital and the, the changing landscape. But this is all run by um, television networks and the opportunity to get new TV deals. And these deals that the conferences um, negotiate were starting to come up and they realized, you know, one of the ways to expand what you're going to get and get a more lucrative contract might be to rearrange your membership, whether that's adding somebody or, um, you know, in the case of the early adapters of this who started their own networks, like the Big Ten, uh, what they are trying to do is get into uh, the right cable markets. Mm-hmm. Um, that's obviously what got Rutgers into, into the Big Ten. Uh, Maryland obviously represented the DC market and that came about a little bit later, but um, for us, it was um, at that point, and it's really hard to almost go back to this and think about this, but it, at that point in history, uh, the Big East and the ACC were very close as far as competitively, um, you know, the the Miami and Florida State thing hadn't taken hold in that conference as much as it had. Uh, Virginia Tech had done outstanding, but Clemson wasn't anything like what they are mm-hmm. now. Um, Florida State was just coming off a, a time where they might have been like that, but um, you know, we started, things started moving around almost, uh, almost immediately, like adding TCU. And then the big, the big shockwave was when Syracuse and Pittsburgh left. Um, and that was probably about a year into my time there. And that was just a, a stunning, um, 
you know, it came out in the middle of the night. I remember not even knowing about it until I guess the office on the next Saturday, we go in to watch the games and, you know, it had just popped up out of nowhere. Um, and, uh, the same night, actually our, the founder of the big East, um, Dave Gavitt, uh, he was a former Providence athletics director and coach. Uh, he passed away the same night and his son worked with us, um, was our head of basketball. Um, so it was just a, it was a disorienting, uh, time and Syracuse was about as big East as it gets. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they'd been there since pretty much the early days and, and Pittsburgh had been there since I think 82, um, big part of what made the big East, uh, special. And then once that happened, there started to be all sorts of other dominoes and things going on. And that would fill up two or three podcasts. I gave a, I gave a, uh, a guest lecture at, at UCF recently where I went through it. I did go back to, and study up on the, all the, the moves and stuff. Mm-hmm. There's so much happening from really from 2010 to 2013, which is when we made that change. So mm-hmm. fast forward to kind of what that was like, um, by the end of 2012, um, our commissioner had been removed. We'd lost, um, I think at that point we'd lost Syracuse, Pittsburgh, Notre Dame. Uh, we'd added a few, like you said, Boise state and San Diego state for football. We'd added in UCF and we'd added in um, SMU and Houston, um, but they weren't there yet. And then Mm -hmm. the real big drop was when the the Catholic seven schools left, the seven basketball playing schools uh, left in early 2013. And um, at that point, we only had four members who are going to be with us uh, in the future, you know, so not counting the ones that are coming in or the ones that are on the way out, like Rutgers or Louisville. Um, So that was, it was really uneasy for a long time, you know, at that point, when, when that happened, our existence wasn't guaranteed um, by any stretch. Um, there's been conferences that have gone out of business, the Southwest Conference, the WAC kind of did, um, they got at least really, really changed. Um, so at that point, you know, we had to pick up the pieces, um, one, negotiate a new TV deal because it was up mm-hmm. and we had nobody left, at least nothing similar to what we had before. Um, so we had to kind of pick up the pieces and put together a new conference. Um, which was uh, a huge challenge for um, for Commissioner Resco and, and for everybody else on the team to kind of one make sure the teams who were coming didn't turn back. Teams like Houston or SMU or uh, that could have gone ended up you know, in the Mountain West or 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 even back to Conference USA or whatever. Um, we had to secure them. We had to secure a television deal to at least get some footing underneath us. And then we had to say had all the the branding and 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 renaming and coming up with new logos and getting those to the schools and um, not to mention just dealing with so many new mm-hmm. um, teams, which, you know, is a difference. Uh, a lot of people, at the big East have been there for a long time and work with the same people at the same schools for a long time. There's a Northeast predominantly conference. Mm-hmm. And now we're up in two in Texas, two in Florida, Oklahoma, um, you know, uh, everywhere in between seemingly uh, East Carolina added Tulane added, um, you know, we were everywhere. Memphis came in. Um, so yeah, I, I forget, the, I forget the original question, but it was a, it was a, no, it, I remember it was a wild good. time to go through all those, uh, those and, changes. And so with, with all those changes, the one thing, I mean, so essentially the big East just turned into the AAC and then there was a new big East that was created for the Catholic seven schools. And then they grabbed like Butler and Creighton and threw them in there as well. Correct. Just to make sure. Cause it's kind of yeah. like, it's like the new Orleans Hornets who became the, like the, then the Charlotte Hornets and then they became the Bobcats and now the Hornets are there again. It's like they're two different franchises, but they have the same name, just so I have that correct, with the Big East, yeah, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And actually, okay. um, I is think it it's still the exactly same Is it exactly right? Where... I don't know. I feel like I kind of messed something up along the way. 
technically, believe it or not, I, unless this has changed since I left a couple of years ago, the American Conference technically was founded in 1979, which is when the Big East was founded and then reconstituted in 2013. Huh. I don't know why that's exactly how it works, but what the conference did was once we lost those schools, mm-hmm. um, we realized, and I think, you know, Mike Oresco and, and the leadership and the schools decided that what we were going forward with wasn't really the Big East. Um, we had the name, we owned mm-hmm. it, we had the contract of Madison Square Garden, um, but I think it was it was an awareness on our part that let's not try to fool anybody. This isn't the this isn't the Big East. It's not mm-hmm. going to play, you know. And so they sold over over the the rights to the name, the logo, the history, and the contract of Madison Square Garden to a new group that was headed by those seven schools. And yeah, it was uh, Creighton, Xavier, and Butler. Um, were added. They've added obviously since they've got UConn mm-hmm. back. Um, so they start up a new league. They were run by, you know, for that first part. I don't think they had their first staff member until middle of that summer. I remember being at NACTA and, and dealing with the new schools that were coming in. And um, I did licensing. So they were like, hey, I need the approval to get the Big East logo on a Xavier t shirt that I want to sell day one. And I'm like, well, I work for the Big East, but I don't work for the Big East that you're going to be in. Um, mm-hmm. And it was a very strange kind of, um, it was kind of a weird place to be, um, kind of balancing that. So that's how, that mm-hmm. is how it started. So we we went home on Friday. I think it actually was a Friday. And um, the Monday we came back, it was technically the American, you know, changed the changed the logo on the door and and uh, changed the stationery. And, you know, we had to transfer the, the management of the website, obviously mm-hmm. the domain, all those kind of things. Um, we had to come up with our own website. I remember working with the guys at Sidearm and we put together a site. We didn't have the name of the conference until May, April, May. It was late. Mm-hmm. So we built the conference, you know, as Conference X. I think that was what the con- contract said. You know, we had to, once we found out it was going to be the American, we could kind of guess that our colors are going to be red, white, and blue. Um, you know, and then we, you know, kind of adjusted as we went and then we launched the site on time and everything. But there's so many of those kind of little things you have to figure yeah. out. Um, to, to make it happen. And, and I, I don't know the last time a conference kind of did that exact same thing where they kind of came out of, in some ways out of thin air. Mm-hmm. Out of thin air with at least the structure was in place. At least you guys all got to keep your jobs or at least I hope everybody got to keep their jobs in some capacity yeah. and yeah. It, that's capable. And and so you, you were talking about it a little bit before with the, the transition of the digital age and the rise of kind of digital creation and content really did go hand in hand with the old biggies falling and then the new AAC coming in and that transition almost aligns perfectly as you were talking Mm -hmm. about before with, with TV rights and and how they pretty much run everything for college sports. When it came to, to branding, especially, you know, with you being, you know, pretty integrated into that part of the conference, how the heck did you handle all of that and and getting people to understand? Cause I, I like the point you made before, like, this isn't the Big East. We can call it the Big East, but everyone's going to know it's not the Big East. Syracuse is in here. Pitt's not here. Who the heck right. is SMU? I mean, we only know them from the death penalty. Like, right. Right. why are we even going to bother? So how do you even, like, if you're heading up that or a part of that team, where do you start? Yeah, and we had a lot of outside, um, you know, uh, consultants who who came up with the name and the logo and things like that. And um, a lot of that was done kind of outside of our, our doors, at least, um, myself. Um, and then we kind of got the results and said, okay, we're the American conference. Here's our logo. Let's go forward with that. Um, and I think, you know, we did talk about the name quite a bit, um, when we were thinking about that and we realized it's not, we're not gonna have any directional, you know, that we're, 
It's, we're not going to be hung up on that. We're not going to have any numbers because obviously that gets wonky. We have the Big 12 with 10 and the Big 10 with 14 and all that stuff. So no numbers, no directions. Um, and, and we did sell on a very generic name, but one that um, that that kind of encompassed what we were. And what we tried to do early on, um, one of the our, our original, before they kind of went to the Power Six, American Power with the Six, uh, which is their current kind of branding, started after I, I left, really. But we were we, we started up with kind of this American Rising theme. And we, we, we tried to make it like, okay, the conference, it's a, it's a kind of a, you had to work it through of kind of trying to say, this is a, a little bit of an aisle of misfit toys. These are, mm -hmm. it's a little bit cobbled together, but Hey, you know what? This is kind of what America is too. Um, we're scrappy. We're an underdog. We, or at least we were originally, <laughs> we, you know, we, we came from a lot of different places. Our strength is in our diversity. Um, you know, we have schools from some of the amazing great cities in America. That was one of the advantages we did notice that we had. Um, that's kind of a double-edged sword in college sports, like you alluded to. The, the the ones that control their market are typically the you know the big guys, the Alabamas, mm -hmm. the Floridas, the Texases. The schools that are in pro markets and big TV markets are great because they have that that market to deal with, but they're also usually not a big draw, right? Yeah. So, you know, team like Houston is is has done great things, but they're not ahead of the Texans or the Astros mm -hmm. or the Rockets in, in the scheme of things, probably not ahead of Texas A&M, you know, and that's just kind mm -hmm. of the thing yeah. we had to deal with. But we did have great American cities, Philadelphia, Houston, Dallas, uh, Orlando. New Brunswick um, for a second. I was there. Yeah, yeah, I was there yeah. during Rutgers transition. It was really weird. I got there where the Big East were pretty okay. My second year there were the AAC. And then I think the next year, if I'm not mistaken, now they're in the Big yeah, Ten. Three it conferences in, in, in your time there. It was crazy. It made no sense. Yeah. And we didn't, I didn't buy shirts. Like there was no point in yeah. buying a shirt at that point, but it's, it's, it's really interesting. And then I guess from like the digital side, like how did you take advantage? And I, I like the idea of, you know, great American cities and that's always going to play very well, but how did you, you know, over this period of time, then how did you handle learning all these new digital opportunities? As you said, Twitter, I mean, Facebook was there, but I mean, how there was it? Inst the rising of Instagram, you know, just video content. How did you then learn how to do all this while everything else was going on? I think that's kind of the nature of the beast with the digital space that, you know, you could go to school for it, but then a few years later, that's going to be all kind of out the window and, and it's going to change so much. So it's, it's about being out there. Um, I, what I liked about the conference a lot was the inter, inter, interactions you have with the schools, right? And the you pick up stuff from so many different great folks from around. So that would help you keep um, in touch. And that's one of the things we went to the American, we started doing a little bit more aggressive um, in, in how we worked with the schools as far as a marketing standpoint. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things for digital, we realized that that could be a driver for our brand awareness. Um, and, and, you know, Mike is a television guy, Michael Resco, our commissioner, but he understood that we needed to make digital a priority. And we had, so he carved out a budget for us to, um, really become content creators. Um, so we thought about how, what we could do when you're on a con, when you're at a conference, um, it's a lot different than being a school, mostly based on access. Um, there's also a lot of factors about, um, equality or not equality, but, um, not showing, you know, you don't want to have 10 pieces of content on Houston and two on SMU. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And every people get very touchy about that. You know, everything from the the PSAs that the videos have to have. So we realized, okay, we we're not going to have the access to the to the campuses, um, but we can build out a um, 
a green room studio and we can build out a command center where we're, we're taping or recording every game, digitizing it. Um, and then, you know, what we tried to do was we just tried to experiment. We, we said, you know, let's see, we're, we used to be putting them on the video highlights on YouTube. And then we said, you know, on Twitter, they're getting a lot more views. Then we ended up when we had more manpower, we were going to still put them on YouTube because that's a great historical archive. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just such a big, it's the second biggest search engine in the world. So um, we looked at it as really a way of, we were going to try to spread the brand as far as possible. Um, we started a digital network for live games. Um, one of the dynamics that changed in this time and, and really was driven by the conference networks was these things that are called third tier rights, which are basically the, the, the contests that don't get picked up by the major television networks. Mm -hmm. So, you know, volleyball games and softball games and soccer games and things like that. Baseball is big for this, but um, the conference networks like the SEC and the Big Ten said, we're going to take all that and we're going to put it on our television network. And um, before that, it was really those third tier rights would go back to the schools and they could do what they wanted with them. And that's why um, companies like New Line, who I did eventually work for, would, would be able to monetize those and build a really great, you know, pay-per-view type model that yeah. lasted until, you know, the last couple of years. Um, but for the American, what we decided we weren't going to try to um, monetize those as well. We thought it was more important for the initial time to make them available and to use this as a branding opportunity. So um, the other decision we made on this was we were gonna hire professionals to produce them. Um, you know, that was a strategic decision because on one hand, you're gonna pursue school productions of them getting set up so they can do these at their own, mm -hmm. you know, which is what a lot of the schools are doing now. Um, but we wanted to make sure they were top of the line, really well done, um, and we wanted to make them free. So we were gonna put them on, um, on our platform, but not require signups or, or payments. We thought we could get more um, exposure and we can make it more available. And, you know, another big thing for this is recruiting. How can you make it easy to see the content for, for parents and fans and, and recruits? Um, so we saw just a lot of different digital outlets to build the brand and, and to develop it. Like you said, the space is changing so much. Mm -hmm rapidly that you just try to be as flexible as you can that's why we built the studio the same the way we did um you know more like we have virtual studio it was a green screen we invested in putting together great uh graphics packages and even things like you can do really good uh fake desks and podiums and stuff like that that are that are really getting there and then we worked with companies like live view who did um uh transmission of video feeds over uh ip lines and cell phone lines so you could basically take a live video anywhere, whether you're in like a, a park. And we did these for, um, you know, conference championships like uh, cross country that we'd never been mm -hmm. able to do before. So you you have to find the right kind of partners who can kind of fit the the gaps that you, you know you're going to need. Um, and it was just really fun to try to pull, pull those all together and, and develop them. And, you know, it, it, we felt like we were making a difference because it was the first introduction anybody had to the to the conference and we controlled mm -hmm. the message. And how, how did, how do you feel that went, because I agree with you, especially with this new conference, if you have all these extra sports, let's call them, you know, extra being anything other than football and basketball, essentially, right? how much money are they really going to make? If you put them, you know, you have to create that TV network. There's so much stuff that you have to do. How did it, how, in, in your opinion, from the branding and the digital perspective and then you know, the impact, how did making all those for free help the conference as a whole, especially in those first few years? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I don't have a firm, you know, like uh, 
fast guess, that I could yeah. say that made it, it, it for sure made a huge difference. Our membership, our, our, our viewership was, was solid. Um, mm-hmm. What we realized um, it was very solid for certain sports. And this was kind of like a learning aspect of our league where um, baseball was gigantic for mm-hmm. um, our numbers were, we couldn't even believe how big they were for um, Houston baseball, East Carolina baseball, UCF baseball. These were like baseball powerhouses and, mm-hmm. and that brought, and, and that's a sport that doesn't get a ton of play on traditional mm-hmm. television. So um, that was really big. And I, I do think it just, it allowed us to um, take a breath and explain what we were about. Um, I think it was the right decision. I think, you know, you can always look back and say, should we have been investing some of that in getting the schools ready to produce? Um, obviously, since since this has happened, the new TV deal with ESPN is uh, mm-hmm. requires the schools to produce a majority, a lot of content, which is a which is a big, sometimes under discussed aspect of these television contracts. Because yeah. um, it's not easy to to produce a, a quality broadcast um, on campus. You know, it's just some places have amazing um, student operations. Uh, St. John's had one when we were, they were in our league. So a, cr- a crazy good job. Um, but students are, are fickle and it's hard to get the right ones. Then some, some schools just don't have the academic mm-hmm. profile for it, right? Like it's hard to get, um, schools that have certain kinds of student bodies interested in spending hours manning a camera, you know, they're, they're just, it's not for everybody. And you have to have schools with big communications departments and ones that want to do that. So that's the one thing that I think, you know, Sometimes I wonder, should we have done that? Um, mm-hmm. Should we have invested in that earlier? Um, but you know, hindsight's fifty-fifty or twenty-twenty, and uh, I think I think it did help us get the brand out there and people to understand. Because when you're starting this, it's like you have to realize, you know, the things move so slow in college. Things are like, you know, fan bases are almost this generation by generation thing. And, and mm-hmm. the example I use is like UCF you know, down here in Orlando, they do an unbelievably good job and, and they're so good on the field, but it's, it takes so long to be kind of like considered a blue blood or considered like all the kids who go to UCF, most of them come from like Gator or Seminole families. Mm-hmm. And that's where they grew up. And, you know, I tell the, the, the guys who I know there, like who are students there and they work with the, with our office at Ticketsocket and say, you know, you're probably going to be another generation or two that before that really, really sets in of people knowing mm-hmm. that. So the first question, I guess, is day one, you have to, you have to not take it for granted that people mm-hmm. aren't going to know who you are. You know, it, people are not trying to tell what, who was in what league, you know, even the, some of the bigger conferences. So let alone when you're having a brand new name and a logo nobody's ever seen, uh, it's a lot of work just to, just to get noticed. And uh, I think that, I think it did uh, in the, in the grand scheme of things, help us get our message out. Yeah. And I mean, it worked in terms of, I mean, UCF 2017 national champions, if I'm not mistaken, um, East Carolina sure. won uh, baseball a few years back. So, I mean, again, like you clearly you had some sort of impact, at least bringing these teams together. And, and that period of time, I remember just being a big sports fan and specifically a college sports fan when it comes to basketball and football. There was like a two year period where I had no idea who was in what league. Like I knew Duke right. was in the ACC and North Carolina was there, too. After that, I mean, you could pretty much throw a dart at a dartboard and you might have a better chance. Again, like Syracuse being in the ACC, it still is weird, honestly. Like, I still I don't I just like started it. realizing that Maryland is in the Big Ten. Yeah. That's Mar- only yep. probably because it, it wasn't – almost all the other ones had some impact on our league. Mm-hmm. That one wasn't. But I still yeah. think of them sometimes as the ACC, and that's yeah. 
what, 12, uh, eight years later, mm-hmm. six years later, whatever it is. It makes no sense. Um, but again, I just, uh, I'm glad we spent a little bit of time on that part of your career because again, there's just so much stuff. And as you said, we could probably do another three episodes on just kind of what was happening there during that three-year stretch, but we'll move yeah. on. We will move <laughs> on. So then after leaving the AAC in 2016, New Lion, Mark A. Hodgkin Consulting, got your name right that time. Look at me. <laughs> and the Sports Leadership Podcast essentially all started right around the same time. Um, yeah. I know what it takes to run a podcast, so kudos to you on that one. Becoming a consultant in some fashion, I mean, that means you're at least doing something extra on top of your full-time job. So that's two things. And the new line, which would be your you know, full-time, you know, quote-unquote, position. What was it like? And, and I guess why was this the right time to try and do just a little bit of everything at once? Yeah, you know, th- some of the thinking about it is the conference track can be a little... Um, narrow, you know, it's, it's sometimes hard to translate it to, um, to other areas. And I didn't, I wasn't sure it was going to be something I was going to do the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I had an interesting opportunity with new Lion because they were looking for somebody to help them on the technology side who wasn't a technologist. They're like, we want somebody who's been a user of our program and, um, we want you to come and we'll teach you about technology and we'll teach you about product development and we'll, we'll do all those things. So that was a really intriguing opportunity to kind of broaden the horizon. Um, and what I liked about the conference so much was, like I said, working with so many different partners in different schools. Mm-hmm. And that's what you could do at New Lion was, you know, interact with our uh, a great stable of schools that we had um, from Oklahoma to Clemson to Duke to North Carolina and uh, Nebraska and Big 12. Um, so I was able to do that and kind of share um, with internally what, what, SIDs and digital guys at schools would be looking for. And then on my side, pick up a lot of stuff. And, you know, some of the other projects, um, you know, I had some time between when I left the American and when I uh, joined New Lion, I did a few freelance projects. I've always tried to keep a few projects going on the side to keep uh, keep myself sharp and, and stay connected. And the network is just really important. And um, I've, I've always been intrigued by that. I haven't been afraid to, to put in a little extra work. And you know, when I went to New Line, it was a little bit more of a nine to five job than the conferences. I mean, the conference, you know, you have somebody on TV almost every night and you have something going on everywhere, you know, because you have 12 or 16 or 10 or how many ever teams we have at any given moment. Um, there's just a lot of those, you know, Saturdays are a full work day. Sunday's kind of a catch up day. Um, you know, you're working nine to five, uh, Monday through Friday as well. And then you're responsible in some form. And, and I was fortunate to have a staff, so I wasn't watching every single game and cutting highlights of every single game. But, you know, there's always something going on. So when I had a little bit more time, I'm like, you know, um, I've known Kevin DeShazo for a long time. I've respected him. I, I, I always had an interest in how people work and how people lead. So I said, you know, I'd love to do some kind of podcast. And he goes, well, I've actually had this concept for it uh, for a while. I'm, I'm in if you are. And he's like, I already built the logo. I have a website. I have the soundcloud account and he's like if you are okay cutting it up and and doing that like let's do it and so we just kind of did and um we've been doing that for two years uh, not as consistent maybe as we should have been at all times but you know life gets in the way sometimes but it was a great way to kind of think intentionally about interesting ideas um when you're doing stuff like this you probably know you you learn a lot you expand your network you are forced to think critically about items and and if you're going to communicate it you have to give some thought to it so I, I thought it was another kind of good opportunity to do kind of as a side hustle and 
Um, it's gone really well. Um, we picked it up. You know, it's actually very conducive to the the whole kind of quarantine mm-hmm. that we're under right now. And um, going back to get more interviews and, and talk about issues that that affect leaders in the college space, but also the regular sports space. And it's definitely geared towards college uh, because that's what my background is. That's what Kevin's background is. But um, you know, it's been it's been fun to do it, and it's a it's a way to kind of keep. Uh, conversations going and, and keep networks building and, and again, just think and learn. You know, I always try to learn and, and pick up things. So the podcast has been great for that. I love it, man. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I get to talk to people like you doing this. I get to talk to people like Riley. So shout out to him yeah. and then Amy. And that's how, you know, it's always fun yeah. to see how I get connected with somebody in some capacity and just, I love learning, you know, that's always been something, especially over the last few years and just I have been super curious, so that helps too. I just yeah, kind of come yeah. up with these questions as we're going along, and it's always yeah. just a lot of fun. And um, so I guess, you know, with that, so the link uh, to the podcast will be in the show notes for anybody out there listening. If they want to check that out, very important. Make sure to go subscribe, review, do all the normal podcast stuff. Everybody knows how it works at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but with your time at New Line, you know, what, how, how was it to kind of, I guess, relax for a better term like you know not having to work all day saturday not having to catch up all day sunday and you know you say it's nine to five but really games don't start till seven so it's nine to five you probably eat dinner and then seven to eleven at that point so what was it like kind of coming in to the technology side which again you you were the user of it and now you kind of at least you're still getting paid thankfully but now it's not nearly as time intensive you can actually hang out with your family or maybe you know do something on the weekends yeah, it opened up more time. Um, you know, it's it's definitely more uh, time to spend with my wife. Um, don't have kids, but you know, it's it's more family-ish time. Mm-hmm. It's giving me more flexibility in the schedule. Um, it's allowed me to take on kind of those other projects, like I said, the podcast mm-hmm. and all that, and and just spend more time learning. I mean, I, I'm a big reader, so you know, that's another thing I do a lot. Um, you know, is uh, is try to read a ton and and develop myself that way. But um, it it's still it's a different skill set. So, you know, you go from being kind of the client, you know, and I, I joke around with uh, guys I've worked with previously, you know, or, you know, maybe at Exos Digital who ran the Big East website or Sidearm or ran the American. And I go, this is my penance, you know, for every time I ask you to do something and why don't you have this product, you know, that and I was having to answer to that and, uh, and develop it and realize, you know, the, the business side of things, which I had a bent for and understood from, from school and, and, and things, but um, you know, it was a great opportunity to learn about, the underlying technology that goes into it. I'm still not a, a technologist. I'm still, you know, learning how to just hold my own when I'm talking with developers or our product uh, managers and things like that. Um, but yeah, it was nice to have kind of a break and say, hey, Saturdays I can watch whatever game I want. You know, no offense, but you know, I can watch that SEC game at 3:30. I don't mm-hmm. have to necessarily watch the game for our for our league, and you know, I don't have to be in the office, obviously, uh, doing it. So. It's it's been a good thing for um, for a lot of reasons, but you know I think that definitely the I don't know if work life balance is the right exact thing because mm-hmm. I still keep myself pretty busy, but um, it's a little bit more flexible, and yeah. a little bit more flexibility, and and again it's kind of like the decision you know when I kind of switched tracks to go to be to to Boston College was how could we um, how does it going to open up a few more doors in the future? And I said you know there's a lot of technology related vendors in, in, in the space, I can still be in the sports world. I can still be talking to people. I can still be there. I can still be in the, in the conversation. Um, but it doesn't have to be out of school. It doesn't have to be at a conference. And, 
you know, the skills that maybe I'm picking up at, at New Lion and taking the ticket socket are a little bit more transferable. So mm-hmm. try to, it's a balance of trying to stay flexible in your, in your path and not kind of say, I have to do this for three years and I only mm-hmm. could work for this company. I can only be there having the flexibility, but also then those kind of moments where you have to jump at an opportunity. And I think of the, the, you know, Jamie at BC saying, Hey, do you know anything about websites? Would you come be our website guy? I'll figure that out. Yeah, let's figure it out. Or, you know, Hey, could you come to new Lion and, and be our product guy? And I'm like, I don't even know what a product guy is. Um, <laughs> you know, what is that? Like, okay. Oh yeah, I get it. I can figure this out. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Um, so I've always tried to be, you know, open for those kind of things that are kind of serendipitous that'll, mm-hmm. that'll come up and, and all. And I think that's really important when you're talking about a career, you know, have the long plan, but don't be afraid to kind of pivot and pick up opportunities. And I think there's always going to be opportunities. I think there's going to be a bunch that come out of this COVID-19 mm-hmm. scenario. I don't know what they are yet. I'm trying to figure it out um, like everybody else, but I think there's going to be things that, 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 uh, that come out of this and provide amazing opportunities mm-hmm. and uh, you'll be able to jump at them and, and figure them out. And, some will, and, and they'll be very successful. And and we're, we're rooting for all those people. Hopefully everyone can yeah. get back to, to work sooner rather than later um, once everything is finally safe to go. So with that, you know, I'm definitely curious, you know, with the AAC, Big East, Boston College, it was to a small number of colleges, right? I mean, even with the Big East when it was 16, I mean, 16 is not very many when you're considering how many teams you're capable of working with, with new line, how many teams you're capable of working with, with ticket socket. So what was that aspect of these two jobs like, and we'll get to ticket socket, That's I guess in point. a second, yeah. but like how, how much more innovation were you able to see across, you know, the country at that point, how much more innovation and more interesting, you know, opportunities came about because now instead of only working with five, six, 10, 12 teams, you're now able to work with so, so, so many more and allow you to think as you were talking about with the podcast boy, you were, yeah. you can think more critically about things. You can see the ways people do things in schools and around the country. How much more innovation I game guess came from that, I guess, from a, a personal and a business level from your part. It's a good question. It's one I actually haven't, I haven't spent a ton of time thinking about. And, um, I think the last time I did the math at the at the conference, I think I interfaced with about thirty-seven schools that wow. were either coming okay. and going, didn't get the never at the same time. But yeah, yeah, once yeah. you had start adding in and um, all that. But you're right. I mean, New Line was well over twice that many. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're much more different, right? So even in, in the Big East, I would always say, like, geez, uh, Louisville and Providence College, like what do they have in common? You know, not much mm-hmm. as far as the school, the location, the geography, the anything, football, non football. Um, but at New Line, it was, okay, we have Oklahoma and Nebraska, and we also have, um, Presbyterian and Seminole State College, which is right here in, in Orlando. That's a, um, you know, it's not even an NCA school. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, they do great stuff and, and it's actually been a great partnership, um, with guys like that, but you learn, you learn about even more kind of the difference between, um, what the big guys need who have a staff or even a digital staff, and then you you deal with schools that, you know, at, at Seminole State, uh, Kurt Esser is their athletics director and he was the, the website guy. He would do the website stuff because it's just a, it's a small school and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's different. So the skills, the, the tools that Oklahoma might need are going to be a little bit different than the ones that Seminole State might need. And um, I think seeing how the different schools operated and seeing different needs was definitely valuable, um, you know, and, and, and you had to balance it, right? You couldn't just say, you couldn't just go to those smaller schools and go, yeah, our big product this year, um, I know it's not going to really help you, but it really helps 
mm-hmm. Nebraska, you yeah. know, and, uh, you know, there's obviously, um, decisions that need to be made, but you have to be able to look at all of them and say, we're doing mm-hmm. a good job for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just, um, you know, it's an interesting question, you know, especially being able to then work with so many more schools and see what those opportunities might look like. Uh, you make a good point. You can't go to Nebraska and someone else state and say, Hey, we have this product It should work for both of you. It's, well, not quite. Nebraska is right. a little different. Nebraska has owns an entire state on Saturday, essentially <laughs> the whole thing shuts down and shout out to them. That must be just an incredible time. So moving sure. on. Uh, so the last eight ish months you've spent with ticket socket, um, what exactly is TicketSocket and what do you do? I think you're another, you're, you're a product guy again, if I'm not mistaken, but now yeah, you're on the yeah. innovation side of products. So <laughs> tell us a little bit about what TicketSocket is and what you do there. Yeah, TicketSocket's the white label uh, ticketing and event registration platform. So basically, if you think about it, uh, New Line, we did ticketing as well um, for a certain number of partners. TicketSocket has uh, two different product verticals, one for kind of like general admission, race admissions. So, you know, we do... Um, you know, uh, obstacle course races and things like that. And then we also have um, sports clients and the attractions clients. And I think our big thing, the one thing that people should know about TicketSocket is it's all based on being white label. So when I mean white label, it, I mean that if you go to one of our clients and buy tickets from there, you'll really have no idea that you've ever interfaced with the TicketSocket technology. Um, and that was really one of the appealing things that when I was being recruited here, um, I had a relationship with one of our EVPs, uh, Kill Blake, who worked at, at UCF, and I met him there. And it's funny how the world is, is small. Now that I live in Orlando, it's just the perfect time to work together. But you know, the idea of giving this—well, it's not always schools, but it's um, any client—control of their brand, control of the technology, control of their revenue, which has become a really mm-hmm. big thing now. With um, you see how some of the ticketing companies are handling all the refunds and the canceled events and moved events. Um, what, what's really appealing about it is that the client has that control. You know, they can either plug into our API and build an entire checkout flow and site just using our technology so they can book and select seats and select time slots. Um, but they control the brand. They control, mm-hmm. you're not sending them to a, an Eventbrite site or a Ticketmaster site or something where, you know, uh, you're losing the data on the fans, you know, you might have access to it in some form, but you know, with our platform, you're owning that and you're mm-hmm. controlling it. So, you know, those were things that I say, okay, this is, I know this is a good selling point. I know that people in the market are going to be interested in saying, yeah, I'd like to have control of those things. I'd like to have it look like my brand. I'd like to be able to take that information on our fans, use it intelligently, not have them come back and be marketed you know, a day later for some event that I, is not one of my events, you know, mm-hmm. which is how some of the players work. And there's obviously balances of, you know, having a marketplace um, to put your events and the idea of having it be exposed to people who might just stumble upon it and want to use it. The flip side is if you're in that marketplace, somebody might be doing that and then see something that sounds better, you mm-hmm. know, and decide to go to a different direction. So that's kind of our premise. Um, we have a variety of different kinds of clients. Um, we have an immersive art um client that we work with quite a bit that just has an amazing um, uh, kind of interactive art gallery. Um, and then we have, you know, we signed a deal with FIBA, uh, FIBA basketball, you know, mm-hmm. to, to work with them in the, in the next five years, um, run up to the Olympics and, and world cups and qualifiers so that opens up a ton of doors. Um, but I think, like I said, it's, it's the having a white label solution, which is just really appealing um, to, to people in the space and say, I'm going to control that. I'm going to control the data. I'm going to control the revenue. I'm not waiting for somebody else to send us our money. You know, I'm controlling that. 
Um, and I just think that's really scalable. And I think, I think it does have a great potential, you know, when we get out of this, um, I think it's going to be even only more appealing, um, once, once we get games back and once we get tractions back up mm-hmm. and hopefully that's not too long. Crossing my fingers, man, just yeah. as hard as you are. And I guess, so yeah. with, with what is going on right now, what, what are you guys doing, especially from a product innovation standpoint? I mean, this is the time where you, you usually don't have sports shut off for two months. That doesn't ever yeah. happen. And it might be even longer, probably close yeah. to three. So how are you taking advantage for lack of a better term to innovate the product, make it better, go into those backends where you had all those band-aids and now maybe you actually can build it out properly. Like what have you guys been doing to make sure that you're, you know, doing something with this time? That's funny you say that. Cause that has been one of our focuses of yeah. saying, you know, we can do some stuff and and fix that issue because, you know, when you're dealing with this and we have clients in Korea and we have clients overseas, so it's all, somebody's already got, always got a game going on mm-hmm. normally. Yeah. So it's not like even, okay, we can do a maintenance window mm-hmm. and nobody's doing it. But now, Hey, you know, we can push these things. We can get this stuff done because, you know, even if, and, and the platform hasn't, but even if you were offline for a while, you know, there's no events going on right mm-hmm. now. So it's an opportunity. The flip side is, you know, you've got to be really aggressive and there's some things I'm just, I, I can't give too many details on as of far course. as what we're doing, but we have pivoted a few things to just stuff that wasn't even on, on the radar a few months ago mm-hmm. and say, you know, what does our tool do? Look at it and say, okay, you know, what we do time ticketing for, um, for events that have had long waits. And then by able to do time ticketing, what I mean is signing it, you sign up for a time slot and say, I'm coming between one and two. Okay. Let's think about what, the opportunity is there now what what else might need that it's not going to be art galleries or attractions or amusement parks but there might be other kind of companies mm-hmm. that would need that right now with the, the current situation yeah so we've had a few other products that have been kind of on the on the shelf you know that we've been waiting for the right time and we're pushing through in those and we're looking for okay what we're offering is flexible that's why we built it this way it's it's white label so that's that's great we can what else can we do? It just might be a little bit different than thinking about it. So it's it's not to say that it's it's a it's a challenging time in a lot of ways and our, our clients are suffering. I mean, it's not a good time for anybody in the event ticketing space. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are those opportunities and that's what we're trying to focus on. What are the things we can't control? What are the things we can polish up while we're, you know, not selling tickets? And then, hey, what is the world look like? Because, you know, none of us know when this is gonna happen. None of us know when normal if that's the thing is ever going to come back or or what's going to change um mm-hmm. so are there some things we can kind of do in the meantime to re reapply the technology to um companies that are trying to come back online through this this pandemic and maybe it's it's a whole nother vertical that we haven't explored before but might be a huge deal for us coming up yeah. so and coming up and moving forward especially yeah, as you absolutely. said we don't know what we don't know what the new normal is going to be because i don't think even if we make it back to the old normal it's going to be a very long time i don't think it's yeah and and i talk to people every conversation i have and and stuff now is kind of i always say yeah, so when do you think we're going to be back up and running and i don't think i've got the same answer twice and most people don't even venture a guess because it's just so volatile and uh i i think it's going to be very interesting to see how leagues how leagues um, address this? I think there's a lot of smart people trying to figure it out, and there's a lot of money at stake um, to get it back up. So I think you're going to see some really creative stuff um, 
hopefully we can all survive through it and, and thrive through it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Mark. As you heard there at the end, we got a little wonky and something might have cut out, but it was absolutely fantastic having Mark on. He was an absolute blast. So smart, so helpful, so grateful. And I'm very, very excited for you to all follow him on his socials. Everything's in the show notes. So make sure to go check him out there. Also, please make sure to give us a five-star review wherever you're listening. iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, follow us on Anchor, I think. Um, Anywhere else, whatever. We appreciate whatever you can give us. Sincerely, sincerely. Thank you so much for your time. It's the only thing we don't get more of, so I appreciate you giving me some of yours, and I hope you make it a wonderful day.